When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Are you enjoying the Single Tracks podcast? Well, we could use your support. The small but dedicated Single Tracks team works hard to share the mountain bike information that inspires epic adventures through this podcast, our worldwide database of trail maps and photos, and daily news and reviews on the website. So consider becoming a monthly, annual, or lifetime pro supporter and enjoy ad free browsing on the website free single track stickers in the mail and discounts on merch for as little as $3 per month. Go to singletracks.com/support to sign up and to find out other ways you can help support our mission. That's singletracks.com/support. Thank you and happy trails. Hey everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks podcast. My name is Jeff, and today my guest is Josie Fouts. Josie is a two-time National Paralympics road and track cycling champion with plans to compete at the 2021 Games in Tokyo. She's also working to make mountain biking a Paralympic sport and stars in a new short film called Go Josie. Thanks for joining us, Josie. Thanks for having me, Jeff. I'm excited to be here. So you've only actually been racing for a couple of years. What were you doing before you started racing and and how did you begin? Uh, Before I started racing, I was commuting 14 miles one way uh, to UCSD. I worked as a lab manager in a microbiome lab. Um, And it was, pun intended, the shit. (laughs) (laughs) That's a huge commute. Well, the way I saw it. And this is also kind of how I got into cycling and racing in general, is my partner, Taylor, he would go out on these training rides and do like 20, 40, 60, 80, 100 miles in a day. Mm -hmm. And the way I saw it, I was like, oh, I can do 14 miles one way and then take the bus back. Mm -hmm. And then it slowly turned into 14 miles one way some days and then the extra 14 back as well. Oh, wow. And then work got really stressful, (laughs) and I would just go back and forth, back and forth. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. That's how I got into cycling in general. My partner started helping me commute faster and faster. I started off on a 80s bike or, yeah, beach cruiser. Oh, wow. With, like, a snowboard (laughs) helmet. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and just tennis shoes. <laughs> wow. You were riding that um, 14 miles? Yeah, I only did that like a couple times before Taylor was like, all right, here's my mom's old hybrid. It's just going to be better. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, wow. okay. I was like, it's a bike to me. Sure. <laughs> I'll ride it. <laughs> so you're commuting to work, or sorry, to school actually, on a beach cruiser. How did you decide that, like, you really wanted to get more serious about cycling? It started with just one ride at a time, Mm -hmm. Uh, right? Like any big task. I just first started commuting. Mm -hmm. It started off one day at a time, one way. And Mm -hmm. then I built up to there and back. And then me trying to be a part of a bigger community. Hmm. So what happened was... There's a local bike race here, Barrio Logan Grand Prix, Mm -hmm. and the women's race director was looking for any woman who could physically ride a bike to just join. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah. And she was paying for my entry fee. I had Mm -hmm. a bike. I already Mm -hmm. rode my bike. And at that point, I was like, oh, there's no barriers not to do this. I'm going to be there supporting Taylor anyways. So why would I not? Yeah. And really. When you say you had a bike, was this the beach cruiser or or did you have like a proper bike by this point? Ooh, by this point, it was like a 90s Miata with a carbon (laughs) fork, but then down tube shifters. Oh, retro. Yeah. An upgrade, but still, again, baby steps. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so I kind of asked myself a question, or the way I looked at it, I was like, okay, so I could kind of be a hypocrite and not support the cycling community that Mm -hmm. is like family, or I can realize and feel and experience what it is to do a race. Mm -hmm. And in that sense, I was like, this is going to connect me with this community Hmm. and also Taylor as well. And I was like, all right, let's do it. I got (laughs) dropped immediately, (laughs) which is exactly how it goes for everyone. Right. But everybody was still so supportive. They were Hmm. like, no, you did great. You I basically I didn't come in last and I was like that was pretty much my goal (laughs) and (laughs) yeah there was a lot of right hand turns so I just focused on just nailing the turns Mm -hmm. and yeah it was quite the experience (laughs) yeah that's awesome well did you have experience racing before this though I think I read that you did track and field uh, maybe when you were younger yeah um, I would do other sports uh, Mm -hmm. Running was my big endurance sport, but I never raced a bike, which is, mm. there's so much more to racing a bike rather than just going out there and giving it your all. Sometimes yeah. you have to hold back, you know, <laughs> right. and get the timing right. right. So, so I learned my first race that my timing was super off. I didn't really understand the tactics of a race mm-hmm. and... But I finished, and that was my one goal for that first race. That's awesome. Well, and now you're you're dedicated full-time to racing. Is that right? Exactly. Yes, I am. <laughs> I would call myself full-time athlete on the bike and then off the bike, full-time hustler, just to make <laughs> more bike riding sustainable. Yeah. What was it like when you made that decision to like focus on this full-time? Like, How did you decide to do that? Again, it was a lot of me trying to connect with my partner, Taylor. Mm -hmm. Um, So before I had this opportunity, he would go through the ups and downs of life, Mm -hmm. right? And racing a bike. So when on his rest days, he'd be like, oh man, do I like stop trying to be professional bike racer and then just go back to school and get a job like everyone else. Mm -hmm. And I would pep talk him up to himself and I would say you know you can't always go back and be bike racer you're Mm -hmm. as close as you are now today and Mm. school and jobs they're always going to be out there so like why give up on something that you've been working so hard for already Mm -hmm. yeah and then when the opportunity to train for Tokyo came I was like all right Josie did you really mean it or were you (laughs) Just kind of saying it to be right. nice. Yeah. 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 Interesting. And I, I just really didn't want to be a hypocrite of what I said and how I supported Taylor. And I was like, all right, worst case scenario, nothing happens, but I get to hang out with a bunch of cool people and I get into really good shape. Yeah. So I was like, I'll take that chance. That was, <laughs> <laughs> and it was also like the best decision I could have made for myself. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, for those who are listening and haven't heard your story, you were born without your left hand. How has that influenced the way you see and approach challenges in racing and, I mean, I'm sure, too, in life? Um, It's totally shaped the way that I think. Um, Mm -hmm. To start off, just a lot of mind over matter. It's not about me being able to do what others people think I can't do. It's about Mm -hmm. me just doing it for myself. And Mm. I think that like is a big part of who I am and also Mm -hmm. makes me a really good bike racer too. Like instead of pushing for results, I just want to beat myself, beat the last time I did this time trial Mm -hmm. or just improve on top of the accomplishments I've already had. And I think results are secondary and it's about the progress and the process that should be primary. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it seems like you, I mean, you've had this approach your whole life and you, I mean, you even have, you have an advanced degree from what I understand 
Um, and so, I mean, does this apply to everything or, or is racing like the biggest outlet that you found for, um, that, that approach that you take to life? Um, I think it's a little bit of both, just like everything. It's not like one way or another, but, Mm. um, yeah, like I would say before I started training again, everything was mind over matter, which is why Mm -hmm. I went and got a higher degree and I just wanted to know what we knew about health and Mm. I also wanted to make sure that what we were doing with the research was actually helping everybody else and like what we know is actually being translated to the public correctly Mm. and when I got to the front line of science in the microbiome world it was kind of funny i realized we didn't know again pun intended shit we just (laughs) we kind of know (laughs) but we also don't at the same time and Hmm. that so me not actually knowing what i was what to expect that's Mm -hmm. kind of been the way i've lived my life like okay i know what i have and i don't focus on what i don't have Hmm. so and i kind of just let the future unfold for me and I think I I can see in science when researchers have an idea of the outcomes that they miss this really interesting aspect that they couldn't have predicted before Mm. and that's really where the story is right Um, and that's like how you follow the science instead of leading the science Mm -hmm. and I feel like for cycling and for training especially for 2020 like that's why i could thrive in a time where it seemed as though everything else was dying Hmm. races were dying they were getting postponed yeah like everything just seemed like there was no future but really we just didn't know what the future had to hold Mm -hmm. yeah that's interesting that yeah i mean it sounds like you're saying um you've been able to deal with uncertainty really well like uncertainty i mean people would be surprised to hear like science there's uncertainty in science i mean i thought that was the one area where like you know there's you know truth and knowledge and all that but like like you said once you get to the edge of that there is this kind of uncertainty and there's things that we don't know and there's new territories we haven't explored yet and it sounds like you're seeing that in your fitness and your training as well oh yeah definitely um that is you nailed the you nailed the nail on the head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, so I noticed too, your Instagram handle is Ms. Stubbornness. So have you found being stubborn is a strength? Oh, definitely. Um, me just being able to sit at a problem and just think about it a thousand different ways from mm-hmm. a whole bunch of different perspectives has really helped me comprehend that problem. And it turns out oh, maybe this actually isn't a problem, but a solution for something else if I think Mm. of it that way. Um, And, but also it kind of gets me into trouble when, (laughs) (laughs) when I'm like working on a bike by myself and I don't really know what I'm doing. And Mm -hmm. I'm just like literally just trying to make it work. And then I'm just at it for, way too long and Mm -hmm. then i'll have like a mechanic come in and they're just like oh it's actually pretty simple all you have to do is like (laughs) press harder or you know give it a little bit more effort or nah it's sometimes bikes are counterintuitive Mm -hmm. and i also feel the same about science as well (laughs) so Mm. i guess it's just life Right, right. Yeah. And we we had a perfect example of this setting up this call, this podcast where, you know, we were trying to get like the microphone and the inputs right. And, you know, oh, you're on mute. No, you're on mute. And like, yeah, (laughs) this is a perfect example of you just sticking to it and being like, we're going to find a solution here. Like, I'm not going to get like frustrated or overwhelmed or like, you know, give up on this. Like, we're going to make it happen and and then move on. Exactly. That's, yep. That's, that is my life. Welcome to it. Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. So, 
Um, we kind of touched on this, but you know, your formal education is actually in nutrition and nutrition immunology. So are you able to use some of that knowledge and education that you have in your own training, like in terms of how you fuel your body and, and how you take care of yourself? Definitely. I think that nutrition is over glamorized in some aspects because they're just trying to, some companies are just trying to sell you a product. Um, mm -hmm. Like for me personally, I am not about prepackaged food or mm. in the sense of typical quote unquote ride food. Um, mm -hmm. I guess the quote should go around the food part. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's actual rides, not maybe not actual food. Yeah. Um, what I know from microbiome research is that the more holistic the food, the better. And mm. for example, um, sugars at the molecular level, they're going to be broken down identically, whether it comes from a gel or from mm -hmm. a piece of fruit. Yeah. But on the holistic level or the um, organism level, it's going to either affect you detrimentally or mm -hmm. for your better health and well-being, right. huh. like respectively. Yeah. So it's all about adjusting your focus um, to, and trying to weigh out the pros and cons, right? For everything. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. Like, do I buy this super lightweight part, but then I don't have money to enter the race that the lightweight part was for, <laughs> right. you know? Yeah. It's all about finding the balance. Yeah. Um, did, it, did it take you a long time to find the right nutrition? And is it different from like what you're used to for um, running versus cycling? Yeah, definitely. I would say that it's still a work in progress. Like I'm still hmm. working on this even as like, I would consider myself like an expert in gut health. Like I yeah. know that we need whole foods. So now it's like solving a different problem of, okay, what am I gonna eat on a ride? And right. how do I compare to this gel packet that you can get 90 grams of carbohydrates in, in an instant versus mm -hmm. like trying to eat a whole bunch of bananas in the same amount of time to get the <laughs> right. same amount of carbohydrates. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. No, there's always going to be like struggles and barriers, but it's about like, what can you deal with and what can you put up with? Like you pick and choose your battles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. That you studied specifically gut health. Cause that is something, especially when people are like, you know, training, like they're on the bike or, um, even just out for a ride, you know, you're out with your friends on the weekend and you're riding all day. And that, that seems to be like the biggest challenge people have with nutrition is like, what am I going to eat? That's not going to make me like, just feel awful during the ride. And, and like you said, for most of us, it's like, we have to experiment. Like, is, is there not like a universal thing? Like, do we all have really different guts that have like different needs and, and ways that they operate? Definitely. And I think that's the whole point of health is that it's all personalized. And every experience that you have is going to be different than the person next to you. And it is based on not just nature and your genetics, but like nurture and the environment mm -hmm. that you put yourself into. And hmm. something else that people don't realize is that you can train your gut to take in whatever you want to take in. So really, yeah, like, for example, if you're trying to get to like 90 to 120 grams of carbohydrates per hour, no matter where mm -hmm. they are coming from as a source, mm -hmm. if you're used to only 20 grams per hour, you can't mm -hmm. just jump right into 90 or uh, 120. Yeah, like, it's the same with training. Like if <laughs> right? Yeah. It's all about the baby steps and building up and the progress. It's not about the destination or the end game or the final race yeah. or Tokyo or the finish line. It's about, all right, having this be a part of the process. Yeah. That's interesting. Right. So you can look at your friend who, you know, they can eat cliff bars all day and, you know, you can't even look at a cliff bar without like, 
you know, your stomach's starting to cramp up. So mm -hmm. I guess we can't just take advice from others and say, well, what do you eat? Or, you know, what works for you? It's something we all have to figure out. Exactly. And I think that being a congenital amputee, not having my left hand from birth, that's exactly my mindset. Like I see mm -hmm. what other people are doing. I'm like, okay, but how is this going to work for me? And how mm -hmm. do I take what they are saying and fit it into my lifestyle? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, you mentioned your first bike race and basically getting dropped really early on in the race. What is the level of competition like at the U.S. National Paralympics? Were you surprised there as well the first time you competed? Yeah, definitely. So um, it was actually a complete 180 of my first bike experience as an hmm. quote-unquote able-bodied cyclist. So yeah. at my first track uh, competition and again I was underbiked I was on a steel frame bike that was a little bit too big for me but mm -hmm. I could clip in and I was like all right that's just a step in the right direction yeah. and on that steel frame Shimano Lindsay I won two national championships and set wow. a national record oh my goodness that's yeah. crazy. Yeah. I mean, did you expect anything close to that or like what, what did going into it? What were you hoping to do? I was hoping to just finish the same as my first bike race. I was like, <laughs> all right, wow, here we go. Like, so that was in December of 2018 and in November is when I just took my track level one course. And mm -hmm. one month before that is when I quit my job. So, wow. wow. Yeah. It all so happened that, that really, really fast. validated, really validated your decision. I'm sure where, yeah, going into it, you're probably like, man, did I make the right decision? And then after that race, I imagine you felt a lot different. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. Like as a scientist, I understand like confounding factors and how random things can influence the results and how much of life is just randomness and luck. And mm -hmm. so for me to win and accomplish so much in just my first race, I was mm -hmm. like, all right, it's pretty obvious here. Like, <laughs> all right, yeah. I got it. Message right. is clear. Keep riding a bicycle. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, in the film, Go Josie, uh, we see you working with your friend Leo to modify your bike and your equipment for racing. So how difficult has it been to find off-the-shelf products that work uh, for you and for other para-athletes? It is pretty difficult. Um, nothing out there is made for us specifically because we mm. are super unique. So it's not right. exactly about the product it's about how you use the product mm -hmm. um, for example for the film i was setting up two brakes to be controlled with my one hand and so we have the regular brake shifter lever mm -hmm. but then we needed a old brake mountain bike top lever to clamp around the drop like it was a sprinter shifter but just huh. it's a break yeah. um and it's not like any break is gonna work it's gotta be <laughs> like an xtr or xr um mm -hmm. break lever from 2005 to 2012 oh wow and the left so it's yeah. not even new stuff like you're having to track down old parts that are gonna work for kind of the solution you found yes exactly so it's a little bit more challenging, but again, like I'm kind of just used to the challenge of everyday yeah. life. So there's <laughs> nothing new to me. I'm just like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Out of stock, can't have it or don't have it, can't get it. Makes, yeah, this is, this is how it goes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, have you found that gear manufacturers are willing to work with you to help you come up with those solutions? Or do you feel like you're sort of on your own for a lot of it? Um, I feel like manufacturers don't condone what I'm doing. <laughs> they can't. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah, they're worried I'm about safety. Or, yeah. Exactly. So it's really up to my community and the people that I work with to come up with these adaptive and innovative ideas. And mm -hmm. I found out that 
like even able-bodied mechanics, not just Leo, they enjoy working on actual problems. Like mm. how do I break with one hand, but two breaks right. versus just changing another flat. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's a fun challenge and, and you get to create something that maybe has never existed before. Exactly. And it's just also so much more satisfying once you finish. It's, it's amazing. And I feel like also this is why I don't do well with routine like the mm. everyday stuff. I'm just like, mm -hmm. it's kind of boring because like, where's the excitement? Where's the struggle? Uh, right. <laughs> so yeah. I've, I've been learning that about myself, the balance of my traits. Right, right. Well, one of your sponsors, Swiftwick, actually has a couple different products, I believe, for amputees, including the Valor Below Knee Prosthetic Sock. So, What's it been like working with a brand like Swiftwick is, I mean, it sounds like that's unusual that most brands, they don't, you know, they can't, they can't make products because everyone has sort of unique needs. Um, but it sounds like Swiftwick has kind of a different approach maybe. Yeah, for sure. Um, Swiftwick is super progressive, I would say, as a company in general, like one, hmm. for me to be an arm amputee and not actually have the correct use for their valor, but they're mm -hmm. still saying, yes, we want you to be a Swiftwick athlete because we know that sharing your story is going to be more important than us selling another pair of socks. Mm, and yeah. it's been amazing. It's really like empowering. Yeah. Like I feel like I've always put myself in situations where I struggle more than the average person because like we just talked about, like that's what I'm used to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm used to people, mentors, uh, bosses being like, yes, you can do this, but dot, 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 there's this exception. <laughs> yeah. Whereas like Swiftwick, all they said was yes. And the huh. cycling community, they're like, oh, you want to go to the Paralympics? Yes, let's do it. No exceptions, no it, buts, just yeah. let's do it. We can do it. And I'm like, oh, okay, and that's it. And they're like, yeah, yeah we're, we're just going to do it. I'm like, nice. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. sounds like you found your people. I mean, it sounds like that's kind of your personality and you're able to connect with people in the industry that kind of feel the same way. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's, it definitely puts me in a, new situation where I haven't been this connected with a bigger community. And that's what the film Go Josie is all about. Me realizing why I push myself on the outside, but at the same time, continuously push my limits. It's, mm -hmm. it's the one trait and it has two sides to it. So right. it's, yeah, super interesting realizing yeah, these things about myself. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. Awesome journey. So are there things uh, that you've found or, or maybe have experienced yourself about mountain bike trail designs or even events um, that maybe could be made more para friendly or or are you just more interested in adapting yourself and kind of um, seeing how you can make it work for you personally? Um, if cycling has taught me anything, it like progress and big goals come from the inside out. So hmm. right now I'm in the phase of just me getting myself out there. So then other people mm -hmm. can see visually how a para athlete would be able to be out there. And yeah. then from there, we can work together to make the trails more accessible, to make the mm -hmm. bikes more rideable. And then to build para mountain biking as a sport with more support and a bigger foundation. And yeah. I've learned being around um, the Paralympics scene that most amputees are acquired. They have acquired mm -hmm. their disability. Mm -hmm. So it kind of puts me in a unique situation. And I'm like, okay, so how do I help 
these athletes who went from knowing how life is one way will say Mm -hmm. i'm going to analogize that with like the pole line on a track Mm -hmm. it's like everything is straightforward you follow this line the path is laid out for you and i think that to help para-athletes better we're doing a disservice by not encouraging them to go outside onto trails where they Mm. undulate and there is no straightforward line or literal (laughs) painted line on the road it's about just getting over the hill or getting up the climb however you can do it and Mm -hmm. only you will know how to do that and at the same time that will give you confidence to then descend that (laughs) on the other side of that hill yeah and also like the research that i've been reading just about how to be the best human possible it says that our environment shapes who we are so Mm -hmm. the best environment for me to be the most human and to be and to reach my highest potential is to Mm -hmm. be outside in nature Mm -hmm. and when i think about it more it totally makes sense like nothing is flat colored there's no smooth surfaces Like everything has dimension and shades and and like depth to it. And yeah. I think that literally helps the brain process things faster. Like when you're out there on the trail, you can't like nitpick over every rock. You are just <laughs> not gonna get anywhere if you do. So right. you have to let some of those small rocks go. And in life too, you can't just have all these problems and to like deal with everyone some things you Mm -hmm. gotta let go you gotta pick and choose what you're going to spend your energy and time into and i think like that's one of the biggest reasons why i'm advocating for a pair of mountain biking i think it's going to push us to be our best physically Mm -hmm. mentally and from there just like road racing and track will come really easily like for mm-hmm. example look at the pro men world tour who's blowing it up right now we got vanderpool and whoop van art like mm-hmm. where do they come from cyclocross where it's outside right. in the elements you're pushing yourself it's yeah it's really challenging to be out there and then they get over onto road and they do the thing that everyone's like no no you can't lead out a sprint and then win your sprint like they're doing it (laughs) they're crushing it and i'm like boom right there i totally know why and Mm -hmm. so that's my approach to training for tokyo a hundred percent like i the deeper i get out into nature the better the training and the better then the results will be for tokyo yeah that's awesome i mean yeah you paint mountain biking as I mean really at the core it's a metaphor for life I mean facing these challenges and getting out there and you know racing around a track is you know I guess it's another metaphor you're just kind of spinning in circles and you're not really getting anywhere Um, Mm -hmm. that totally I totally connect with that why do you think uh, the Paralympics so far has not included mountain biking I think it's a lack of understanding and to be like even more specific a lack of visually seen para athletes out on trails which Mm. again is why it's so important for films like go josie to be produced and that's Mm -hmm. also like those things can't happen without progressive sponsors like swiftwick like shimano laser pearl azumi they all said yes and I was like, oh, okay, let's do this. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so I think it's a lack of helping para athletes realize their full potential, which then mm-hmm. makes a lack of attendance for para any race. Mm-hmm. And then in return, that tells the race promoters that they shouldn't put their efforts into it. So, life yeah. is all about cycles, right? Right. So then that creates this like kind of vicious cycle. Mm -hmm. But once we start including 
para-athletes into these stories and into these videos, then it starts this cycle of like sustainability here. Mm -hmm. And so we got now athletes being able to see what we're capable of and to see their full potential, whether you're able-bodied or para, I'll say this from my own experience that I am more inspired and empowered by seeing another para athlete ride their bike. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then from there, that builds more people on bikes and then we're going to have more races and then we're going to have a bigger sport. So, and then it's just going to, again, life goes in cycles. It's just going to repeat itself. Yeah. That's why I don't think it's a sport yet. Um, But that's also why I think that this time around, it's going to be different because it's starting with a para-athlete who Mm -hmm. just wants to ride her bike outside in nature because she knows that's how I'm that's how she's going to be the best human possible as humanly mm-hmm. possible yeah and yeah i mean we're mm-hmm. hearing a lot now about how representation is really important in terms of like inspiring others and and basically showing like what what we can do and it you know it seems like your story is is absolutely about representation saying look you know, I'm doing this and others can do it as well. And you make a really good point that, you know, I guess maybe on the surface, it would seem like you're there to inspire other para athletes. But like you said, I think it's much bigger than that. You know, it inspires all people. I mean, there's plenty of people, you know, most of my neighbors don't ride mountain bikes. And, you know, maybe some of that is because they think it's too hard or, you know, they're not sure it'd be much fun, but if they see someone like you doing it, like that inspires them as well. I mean, maybe it inspires them even more than if they saw, you know, Aaron Gwynn or, or somebody who's like, you know, top of the sport, like athletes doing something like that. You know, maybe maybe this inspires them in a different way. Exactly. And it's all about looking at the same problem from a different perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's it's not about what I don't have, it's about what I can offer to those people who have yet to be inspired. Yeah. And again, that's how I've lived my life. I don't focus on what I don't have. I just focus right. on what I have and what, how I can use it to get to where I want to be. Mm, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, you mentioned it and also saw a recent Instagram post uh, that you wrote where you were saying that routine bores you. So how do you keep your workouts and your training interesting? Like, is it, is training fun for you or, or is that something that, that can be boring or routine sometimes? The way I see training is just me trying to be a better version of myself than yesterday. Um, Mm. Whereas I think the average racer sees training as the means to be competitive at a race. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that was very apparent to me when 2020 happened, where everything was canceled and postponed. Yeah. Um, like, for me, I like knew what I had to do before then. It was like, okay, I'm going to race every weekend, basically, until mm-hmm. Tokyo to get as much experience as possible. And... Right. After everything was postponed, then I had the opportunity to take a step back and be like, is this actually what I think is going to make me a better bike racer? Or am I just Mm -hmm. doing this because everybody else is doing it? And it turns Mm -hmm. out like as the as I'm learning about myself on the bicycle, I hate doing the thing that everybody else is doing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Why um, is it boring? I mean, what is everybody else doing? Are they doing like repeats of climbs or like, I don't know, loops around a, a track or like, yeah, I mean, I imagine a lot of it is boring, but I guess I don't know specifically what a cycling training plan would even look like at your level. Honestly, it's probably the same for any new cyclist. So now I have a year or two years worth of data to uh, build upon. 
-hmm. the first two years were definitely just collecting data. So it was just me kind of observing myself and mm -hmm. observing the race and the culture and what the preparation, the work that needed to go into it. Um, mm -hmm. And so now I feel like I'm actually making a plan, making actionable items. Mm -hmm. And to keep, for me, training interesting, well, I guess life kind of does this for me, but it always throws <laughs> new challenges at me. So it's yeah. like, okay, so I thought I knew how to ride a bicycle at the end of year one, but then mm -hmm. I got a new bike, a lighter bike, and it was a little bit different. So I had to relearn mm, how yeah. to ride that bike. And then I got a mountain bike, and then I was like, whoa, I was not even riding any of those bikes before <laughs> correctly at all. Yeah. And now I have a prosthetic to work with. So in a sense, cycling is helping me accept routine mm -hmm. with a little bit of a spin, uh, pun intended, I guess. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah. So it's like I'm reteaching myself how to ride a bicycle, but at the same time, I'm progressing on top of what I already had. And mm. again, it's all about like the baby steps and easing into anything rather than jumping and going all in, which is what mm -hmm. I usually do. So, <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, do you yeah. think you'll ever get bored? Will you ever get bored in cycling? Will there be a time when you're, you're ready to move on from that? Or do you think it's, it's like big enough and deep enough to like really, I don't know, spend, spend the next few decades doing it? Um, I think this is a sport for life for sure. Mm, like yeah. just thinking about how cycling is set up versus other sports. For example, the play of field. There is no boundaries or inbounds or out of bounds for like when you practice or when you train. Mm. It's yeah. it's like where can I reach and how long will it take me to get there and mm -hmm. will I be prepared? So it's like there's always going to be different parts of the world that I can reach. And mm -hmm. I think, again, at the same time, that's what's going to make me a better cyclist and a better human. So I'm just go going to be able to reach those deaths like infinitely. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So what was it like filming Go Josie? Did you enjoy the spotlight? Was that like a new experience for you to kind of be at the center of a project like that? Oh, definitely. That was super new. I've never had so much, I guess, wanted attention. <laughs> I usually have a lot of unwanted attention. So uh -huh. like now it was like a little bit different. Um, mm. It really... It's not okay. So when I went into Go Josie, I thought I was just going to make like a cool film where I'm just like shredding on the dirt and then like we're doing <laughs> slow mos and stuff. Yeah. And but what it turned out to be was just me learning so much more about myself that I never took the mm. time to ask myself or. Yeah to give myself the time before. And that's what mm. I really learned about this film. And yeah. was and that I your think, intent going into it? Or did you think that's what you would get out of it? Or is this, did this come as like a real surprise? Um, it came as a surprise. Um, like I said, I don't really have a lot of expectations or I don't really know what's going to happen. So I was prepared to answer mm -hmm. these really hard questions. Uh, but I wasn't prepared for like the spillover afterwards. Hmm. This this film was kind of like scratching the surface of like who is Josie at her core? What are mm -hmm. what is her how has her past shaped who she is today? Mm -hmm. And then after the filming, just like everything in hindsight, I was like, oh my gosh, I have all these other things that I want to say and that I could mm. have said better. And, oh, yeah. and then I really started digging deeper into like who I am and like who I want to be as well. Mm -hmm. So 
I feel like yeah. it it wasn't what I wanted, but is what I was needed. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, and we we've seen this too, I guess, in other films as well. I mean, Rebecca Rush's Blood Road movie mm-hmm. kind of comes to mind for me. It, it seems like she was on kind of a similar journey, and for those of us who, you know, most of us who have never been a part of that, um, I think that's that's a really interesting insight that kind of seeing yourself. Um, in the camera and in the lens, like really gives you a new perspective. And it sounds like you were able to capitalize on that. Yeah, it was, it was super amazing. It's actually pretty funny. Uh, so I built this gravel bike and it was just a metaphor for life, just like everything bike related <laughs> is. So I'm like building yeah. this gravel bike in my garage and it's going really, really slow because I'm being stubborn and I just want to build it myself. I just want to do mm-hmm. it by myself. Yeah. And I don't know why, but throughout the filming and the interviews, I figure out why. Um, <laughs> and then I'm like, all right, well, I got to do the thing that I don't like doing, which is asking for help. But yeah. if I can ask for help from leo rogers who has a different perspective than the average person that i would ask for help then Mm -hmm. i'm like oh well this is actually better than me asking for help from anyone else so yeah Yeah, it sounds like i mean that's lessons that a lot of us can learn as well um yeah trying to do too much ourselves or you know as mountain bikers too a lot of us kind of are introverts or a lot of us are, are people who yeah don't like asking for help we like to be independent and be able to do things on our own but um yeah we're all connected and and we all do need help from each other and there's like you said at the very beginning like there's this awesome community around cycling and you know hopefully people aren't you know judgmental as much or they're not um they're not hard to approach as well you know that's kind of what I've found in the, the cycling community and, and hopefully others have as well. Yeah, I totally have felt that as well. Yeah. And it's about not just only being independent or always relying on other people, right? It's about the balance mm-hmm. right, of doing right. both, being able to do both well at the right time. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so many so, puns and metaphors that you can you can do with cycling, right? Yeah, balance and spinning your wheels. Yeah, it's endless. So you were telling me before we started uh, the interview that you just completed your first bikepacking trip. What was that like? What did you learn on that trip? Um, I learned actually exactly what I knew or have been learning about myself is that Mm -hmm. I'm always underprepared. I am (laughs) underbiked, undergeared like you're confident though or would you say you're overconfident i would definitely say a little bit of both <laughs> like <laughs> um i apparently have this really good innate ability just to tune out any danger fear or negative emotions and hmm. so when i'm going down a single track road with a rut in the middle of it and then 28 to 30 millimeter tires, but then a giant like cliff face to the right, I can just like zoom in and tune everything else out. Like, I'm like, there is no danger. Like all I have to do is get down in one piece. Right. And apparently that's the way I work. It was funny because (laughs) of that same reason and my same ability, we were riding almost close to home. We're about to get some food. We're on a bike path in Santee, which is just outside of San Diego. But mm-hmm. there's a giant snake on the bike path, and oh, I don't wow. see it. Because, like, <laughs> apparently I'm just tuning it out. And, right. and like, the people I was with, they're like, oh, yeah. Well, we stopped, and so Josie will stop, but then I didn't stop. And they're like, oh, well, (laughs) I see a big snake, so Josie will see it. And so it was actually pretty funny because by the time I realized what was happening, I ran the snake over, and I was just, and it was already, like, uh, slithering off the path. But apparently it was, like, (laughs) 
four to six feet long, and Ooh. I just totally missed it. Luckily, it was a gardener <laughs> snake and nothing dangerous or yeah. more dangerous. Um, <laughs> but it was, yeah. So I learned that about myself, which I kind of already knew, but now I know at a deeper level. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hopefully you apologize to the snake. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> it was a uh, quite the eye-opening experience. Um, yeah. But again, like it was amazing just being out in the middle of nowhere, mm. but at the same time somewhere. Like I kind of knew where I was. Um, mm -hmm. It was just a one-nighter. I usually jump into things underprepared, and I go mm -hmm. way too big. So this was me practicing pacing myself so mm, we did an yeah. one-nighter 105 miles it was like 11 hours of ride time and mm, wow yeah it was beautiful i can't express like the feelings of sleeping in a bivy for the first time just straight on the ground just bivy yeah. <laughs> and sleeping bag nothing else and i was like yeah. again just underprepared this is how i do things <laughs> right but, yeah. but you made it out the other side. Is bikepacking something you think you'll do more of? Or could you even see yourself doing a bikepacking race? Oh, definitely. Um, I love bikepacking because it can't get canceled. It can't get mm. postponed. Right. Like, <laughs> who's to say that it's not going to happen? Only me. So if right. I mm. make the excuses for myself, then it's on me. If it's not on anybody else, I have nobody right. else to blame but myself. And that's why I love getting out there on the bicycle in nature because I make these connections and I'm like, oh, I'm actually holding myself back or I've been making excuses for these other things in my life when really it's about me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So sounds like that outlook is perfectly tailored toward these like fastest known time attempts that, you know, a lot of people are getting into right now. Does that have any appeal to you? Oh, definitely. I am super excited to start being the first para athletes to set out fastest known times. And oh, nice. Yeah. Specifically, I want to do the white rim trail after Tokyo. Okay. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's a big one, big challenge and, and a really well-known route as well. Exactly. But it's kind of cool because I'm in this situation where I can set the bar and it doesn't mm -hmm. matter how big or low that bar is. So I don't have to like hammer down and just look straight at the road the whole time. I can like <laughs> kind of take a more relaxed pace, enjoy the views, just be happy to be outside and to be pushing myself. But at the same time, trailblazing, pun intended, mm -hmm. for right. other parents. <laughs> para athletes to push themselves as well um, yeah. like then you'll yeah. have to get back out there though as soon as your record falls right but i guess exactly. that's that's what it's all about yeah like, that's what i'm waiting for <laughs> yeah, that's what i want i want some challenge <laughs> right that's awesome well are there any other challenges that you've set for yourself this year i mean you've already got a really big year with tokyo and then also it sounds like you're white rim fastest known time attempt are there other things you're looking forward to as well um i have some personal challenges like just learning how to use a prosthetic for riding uh which is making me physically balanced mm -hmm. both on and off the bike holy crap like obviously <laughs> i've been short-handed my whole life but uh mm -hmm. <laughs> now that i have a claw i call it the claw it, it yeah. kind of looks like a giant Lego hand. It just kind of pops on round rod shaped things and pops off, uh -huh. um, yeah. which is perfect. Uh, so that's like a personal challenge I have for me. Yeah. And then is this and, and you hadn't worn one before this, before you got into cycling. Is that right? Correct. I tried some hmm. when I was younger, but I totally rejected them. I never wore them. Um, hmm. Man, imagine like a grade schooler, like fifth grader, Josie Fouts, going mm. to a prosthesis and he's being like, Josie, we gave you the top of the line prosthetic with myoelectric abilities to move one finger. And yeah. in my head, 
I was like, oh, they're giving me a hand. They're giving me an mm -hmm. actual hand that I can use. Yeah. That's like my right yeah. hand. But right. then I get this and it's the expectations are lowered. And mm -hmm. I'm like, they're like, what can you do? And I'm like, uh, peel a banana really, really <laughs> slowly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that was also a part of like me learning about myself and why I have the outlook and perspective that I do. Um, yeah. But now it's like, it's time to balance that out. I've been very mind over matter or mind over body my whole mm. life. And yeah. now with this prosthetic, I'm like, okay, well, and with cycling in general, I'm like, I need more balance, literally. And metaphorically, <laughs> I just need right. to accept that there is no hand. It's not as long. My left arm is not as long as my right. So I shouldn't mm -hmm. treat it like it is because that's right. just pulling my body in one direction. Yeah. So, so that's a big challenge for me. And just like my fitness and just like my mm -hmm. cycling journey and my cycling career, it's going to be a process. So I'm excited yeah. about that. Yeah awesome so what does your competition look like for tokyo or do you know some of the other athletes like from other countries that you'll be competing against mm -hmm. yeah so i've been to a couple of international events um but the way that i see cycling for myself especially as a new athlete is that i need to focus on myself rather than my competition and rely on my ability to go with an attack or to counter attack rather than be like, okay, so number 12 is going to, is the strongest athlete out there. If it's a yeah. sprint, it, like it, like those things, I can't, I don't see how like at my level, it's going to be worth the effort. Mm. Um, like I just have yeah. to like relearn and teach myself how to ride a bike. Um, but that's yeah. just me. And I know that my perspective will change along this journey. So yeah, but, well, it sounds like you, you approach a lot of things, including racing sort of as a problem solver, right? Like, like I'm not going to have all the answers ahead of time. I'm going to show up and I'm going to figure it out while I'm there. You know, I'm going to see what the problem is and I'm going to find a way to solve it. Exactly. And Honestly, that's to me mostly about how life works. Like think about all the bike races or life instances where you have a plan to set out, but like right. how many times does it go exactly according to plan? <laughs> right. Like, and then yeah. what do you do when it doesn't, you know, I mean, a lot yeah. of people, they fall apart when they have their plan and it doesn't work out and then they're stuck and they don't know what to do. Exactly. Like I, like science taught me that as well. Like you have the theory, but then you actually have real life. And that's also what I'm learning about myself is that I have a lot of theory in my head. Again, mind over body. Uh, mm. So now I have to actually put these theories into practice. And this is, this is what Tokyo is for me. It's just me challenging myself not just physically but also mentally about what i know and applying it to real life situations mm -hmm. yeah. and i think with that perspective rather than i have to meddle at tokyo or tokyo is the end goal like for me tokyo is like not even the finish line like for mm. me trying to set that para FKT on the White Room Trail is my mm -hmm. finish line for the year. Like that's going to set me up and other people out up for more success than I think winning medals for myself at Tokyo is right. going to do. But Tokyo is a part of the journey and a part of the process. And now instead of having Tokyo be the finish line, I'm looking way past Tokyo. And mm. if any athlete knows this, it knows that you don't look at the finish line. You don't focus on that. You look past <laughs> right. it and then you yeah. perform much better than if you were to hyper focus. That's that's awesome. Really, really good life lessons. And um, yeah, your outlook is is incredible and your story is super inspirational. Um, and I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. And 
of course, best of luck at Tokyo, but also in your FKTs and, and in everything that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. And thank you, Single Tracks, for sharing my story. Because again, hearing these things and being able to see para-athletes out there, that's the first step into more bicycles. Be Sorry. Man, <laughs> I feel like I'm getting you got thrown fatigued. off. That's all right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but sharing these stories is really the first step of making para mountain biking into a Paralympic sport. Mm-hmm. And to also just get more cyclists out there. Yeah. Well, you can keep up with Josie on Instagram, uh, and we'll have her handle linked in the show notes here. And also be sure to watch Go Josie online and keep up with her latest adventures. That's all we've got this week. We'll talk to you again next week.